Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along with us, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. Yeah, and as usual, if you have any questions you would like us to spend some time answering at the end of every podcast, uh, I would encourage you to send those in at infogrove.church, or you can jump on Facebook and like the Grove Church in Washington State uh, and direct message us those questions. Yeah, so this week we are doing our first uh, thematic study, so once a month. It's a fun word to say, thematic. Yeah, it'll be cool. Thematic. If you, if you remember, the, the breakdown that we're doing this year is two times a month we're going to do a book study, once a month we're going to do kind of a character study of one specific. Bible character, and then we're also going to do a, a thematic study. So, just what's a different theme uh, that we're going to find? Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, we're going to try and keep it particularly with this, uh, the passages that we've been reading. Yeah. Uh, but this theme is kind of just it's everywhere. So it's definitely in the passages. Yeah, we're you'll reading, hear this word also, a lot. Yeah. Uh, it'll be it's 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 a it's a word that you can kind of understand just through a basic definition search, but it's also a much deeper word. So I'm excited to jump into it. Yeah. And without further ado, our word of the day today is covenant. covenant. So there you go. We're gonna be talking about uh, what is covenant? Not convent covenant. True. Very different things. Uh, and then we're also gonna be talking through uh, not all of the covenants because there's a ton in the Bible that we could talk about, but we're gonna talk about the main ones. But uh, before we get into that, we're going to go ahead and talk about the resources that we're using today. Uh, as always, we're throwing in the ESV Study Bible, which has great notes. It's Evan's favorite. It's a good one. Uh, also, Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, which has a we great chapter. Yeah, which has a great chapter on covenant. Uh, and the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Dictionary by J.D. Douglas, Merrill Taney, and Moises Silva. Which Moises. Is, yeah, which also Moises. Sounds down. like something to Three Stooges say. Sorry if that's really your name. There you go. I'm not making fun of it. And I think he's a pitcher in the Mariners minor league system. Mo- Moises is? Moises Hernandez. Anyway, that's totally- You would know that. That's I just a totally random thing. Uh, but anyways, that has some helpful uh, breakdowns of the different uh, covenants that we see in scripture. So Love first it. off, uh, what is a covenant? So it's not really a word that we use in today's language very Hardly often at all. at all. No, You may is- hear it in like a marriage ceremony or things like that, uh, just depending on the- the, the pastor or the officiant, but yeah. uh, rarely do you hear this word apart and from a church service. Really, that's the one time that, um, like you said, in a non-church service that you would actually hear the word covenant yeah. because marriage is considered a covenant relationship, uh, which would differentiate it from a contract relationship. Yeah. And that's about it. Uh, the definition in systematic theology, so one of the books that we reference is, uh, a covenant is an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of their relationships. Yes. So. The, the biggest thing about covenant is the divine nature of it. It's right. not... It's not just a contract, which is sometimes the generic way it's, it's defined, but it is a divine agreement. It is a divine um, binding thing. Yeah. So. It's also set apart too, because of just the amount of, um, the amount of love that both parties will have for each other. So in, in marriage, that's kind of really obvious, but in the covenants that we're going to look at in the Bible, God clearly loves uh, the people that he's yeah. making covenant with, and they clearly uh, have a relationship with him as well. And desire to love him too. Yeah. And I think there's, it's helpful to remember the, to kind of contrast covenant with contract. Um, and the easiest way, I mean, the thing that comes up most with contracts would be sports. Um, so like being based in... I never even thought of sports when you said contract. Really? That's funny. Yeah. Oh, that's what... It's I like think it depends way. on your personality and what you're interested in. Evan, you love sports. I do too, but I don't ever think... Whenever I hear the word contract, I think of like a housing contract, uh, like you're buying a house and things like that. Gotcha. So there you go. So, 
But yeah, it's all guess, over the place. I guess my thought was being based in Seattle, right? The the relationship that Russell Wilson has with the Seahawks is not a covenant. <laughs> it's a it's purely a business transaction. Yes. Uh, whereas the relationship that I have with my wife um, is not a business transaction. It's purely a, a covenant. That's not how that works. I know. Oh, so, sorry, babe. So there you go. I'm just kidding. Uh, and to then, my wife, not Evan's wife. Some interesting word nerdery uh, going on. I feel like we should just have like a music drop for whenever we're doing word nerd stuff. But Dude, you totally should. Uh, maybe Who, I'll, We'll talk to whoever edits this podcast. Maybe I'll add one in in post. Uh, but there are two. What I, I actually found this really interesting. There's only two words that are translated into English as covenant. One for the Old Testament, huh. one for the New Testament. I didn't know that. Yeah. So there's no, there's not, um, there's not a few different Hebrew words that are translated into covenant. Just it's just one word. Yeah, just one word. Wow. Uh, the Hebrew word is bereth. Uh, is that and, how you say it? No, I don't know. <laughs> it looks like it. Uh, and the Greek word is diatheke, which... That's I, how you say I that. I feel like bereth is... I was probably closer on that one than diatheke, but who knows? I was just being sarcastic. There you go. Uh, bereth uh, translates to, obviously, to covenant, but it also uh, can be translated to allies or treaty. So it kind of has this idea of particularly, you know, in, in a wartime or a, an agreement mm-hmm. between nations. Uh, and then diatheke is only translated as covenant within scripture. But when you look outside of scripture for how it's used just in Greek, um, it's, I, th- I thought this was kind of interesting. It's also the word used for the inheritance that you get from a will. So the idea would be um, someone that loves you has died. They leave you an inheritance. That is your diatheke. Interesting. So, yeah. There you go. Fun, fun fact, word, word nerdery there. Love it. Um, so moving on to, we're going to hit not all, again, not all the covenants in scripture, just because we don't have time for that. Yeah. Nobody got lot. time for that. We're going to hit kind of what I would consider um, the major covenants that, that most that of us see. are aware yeah. of. Yeah. And that, that also the ones that play out beyond just the one person's life and mm-hmm. they kind of have far reaching effects. So the first one will be. Yeah. The goal is to give you kind of a holistic, like a big picture idea of covenant throughout the entire Bible and highlight a few things. So exactly. Uh, the first one is going to be the covenant of Eden, which is a little bit controversial because the, in this particular one, the word covenant is actually never used, um, but it has all of the markers of covenant. Sorry. Now that you're not, you said you use music for the word nerdery. Now I have like these different like thematic or not thematic, but uh, sound bites going through my head. Like it's a little bit of controversy. I just think of like this controversial. Controversy. Yeah, so I forgot how to do the effects Sorry. on the soundboard. Otherwise I could have made my voice sound cool. Now. So you could have, but you didn't. Uh, what are you going to do? It still sounded better than it does. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so this is the the first time that God would have relationship with humans in the Garden of Eden. So mm-hmm. obviously we have Adam, uh, who this covenant is given to, and then uh, Eve immediately comes on the scene right afterwards. And so he's making a covenant with them. Uh, the covenant's also really simple. It's basically you will have um, life eternal. You'll have relationship with me. You'll live in this paradise. Uh, just don't eat from this one tree. Yeah. And that's, and that's it. That's the only rule of the covenant. We'll see later with covenants, there's like whole books of law yeah. that are given. This one's just don't very, eat that. Very simple. Yep. Um, and it doesn't, it does not go well. <laughs> well. So in, for any of us, in Genesis two, just to kind of give you the exact scripture for the covenant, it says, uh, then the Lord, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, which, okay. Starting but, off great, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day you eat for in that, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Awesome. So, uh, immediately Adam and Eve eat of the tree. I guess we don't know how long it is. Yeah, I don't know, but immediately in the text. <laughs> yeah. Next, very next chapter doesn't go well. Um, and I think it's also just, I don't know. I think it's an important thing for us to remember that our, our hearts really are prone to, we, we just, um, prone to wander. Yeah. We just did a message on 
come thou fount the old hymn. And it is true that our hearts are prone to yeah. prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love is the line in the song. And uh, I think a lot of times we can look at Adam and Eve and just kind of be like, dude, you screwed this up. And I guess, you know, one day in heaven, it's going to be hard to look you at. You screwed this it's up. It's going to be hard to look at him and just be like, you idiot. But um, it is just one of those things where be very careful to not think that you would uh, would be doing any better in that situation. So there you go. Aaron, any other words on the the covenant of Eden before we move on? No, I just think it's, it's I think it's important. I was actually just writing this down um, that I think it's important just to recognize there's moments where it's God who establishes a covenant. He's the one that initiates the covenant and God's people. And this is, I would say the majority of the covenants, I think, um, that he establishes it. It's out of his, uh, and I'm, I don't remember where I was reading this, but it's out of his agape love, like his unconditional love. He establishes more Greek words. promises. Um, but w- it, he does that knowing that we don't have the capacity to love in the same measure. And so when, when we read these different covenants, like, Hey, you're going to, you're going to be with me. You're going to eat at every tree, except this one. Um, God's, God's establishing it from himself. He's establishing it from his love for us. And sometimes we're just along for the ride. Uh, and so we'll see that uh, throughout scripture entirely, especially when you see the word covenant, uh, pay attention to who's the initiator uh, and what the response of the, of, of the individuals is. And what you, yeah, what you also notice too, is that God never breaks covenant. Um, and then humans never. do, humans do all the time and he continually gives grace and grace and grace. Uh, so the covenant of Noah is the next one that we're going to hit just to kind of give a quick recap of the story. A lot of us know it, but at a certain point, um, God decides like just humankind in general is overtly wicked. Mm -hmm. He's kind of like, let's hit the reset button on this. Uh, Noah is spared along with his wife and his three sons and their wives. And so he builds an ark. They were the only righteous people. He builds an ark. It's populated with animals supernaturally by God. Um, And then floodwaters come, destroy all living things on land. And then eventually the floodwaters subside and Noah's there. Right after that happens, we get this passage in Genesis chapter nine, verses eight through 17. And it says, then God said to Noah and his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant, there's the word, uh, with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth as with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is that is with you for future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, the bow is seen in the clouds. I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So there you go. Also, it's really interesting how broad this particular covenant yeah, is. Absolutely. This is not to a person. This is not to the people of Israel, as we'll see a few, a, a bunch of the later mm-hmm. covenants are. This is just every living thing. Uh no more, no more world ending floods. Yeah. And there's no, um, there's also no, um, I'm trying to think of what it is, kickback rules. There's no, Hey, as long as you don't do this, I will never flood the earth again. It's just God overtly saying like, this was a one-time deal Yeah, and you can remember. Um, and it, yeah, he just gives the rainbow as kind of like a sign of hope, which I always think is really beautiful. Like even on like really rainy days when the sun starts to shine, which overtly is just kind of a hopeful yeah. thing when you see the sun. This is why I don't like the ESV. It says bow. The bow. I have set my bow in the cloud. Hey, maybe that's what the word actually translates. It's not a to. rainbow. 
Well, it needs to say rainbow. Okay. <laughs> that's what I grew up in remembering. No, I, um, yeah, I think that that's absolutely like, yeah, I've, I don't know if it's ever stood out to me before. Uh, cause I've, I've grew, I grew up reading these stories and hearing these stories, but just the simple fact, like God's covenant is not just for humanity in this moment. It's, it's for all creation. It's for the animals. It's like he, God doesn't relegate the promise of no longer flooding the earth. No longer, not now, um, to just humanity, but it's also to animals and stuff right. like that too. So it just shows the deep care and love, the concern for his creation and not just humanity. So yeah, God's love is obviously all the PETA people are celebrating what I just said. So <laughs> yeah, but it is something important to remember too that God's love um, is obviously different for humans than it is for animals. But He loves all of creation. Yeah. The question is: Was there a cat actually on the ark, <laughs> or were they just uh, created by Satan after the yeah. flood? Are Who they knows? just demons dwelling on the earth? On that note, I'm not a cat fan. So <laughs> on that note, moving. And on. Evan has a cat at home. I do have a cat. I am more of a dog man, though. But um, my your wife, wife is a cat. Fan. My wife is enough of a cat fan for the both of us. So yeah, it so works out. Work. Yeah, it does. Um, What's your cat's name? Kylo. Kylo. That's right. Yeah, from Star Wars. Yeah. I did we not, know. for clarity, I did not name the cat. I was going to say Thunder, but I'm like, that's Jesse's. That's Jesse's cat. That's yeah. Jesse's cat. Jesse's the Jesse's pastor, cat. for those of you who don't know. Uh, all right, Anyways, so we digress. On, moving on to the covenant of Abraham. Uh, so God eventually, fast this forward. Is the father of uh, the nations. Yeah. His so son His son will be Isaac. Isaac's son will be Jacob, um, possibly but better Jacob's known. not the firstborn. Yeah, possibly better known as Israel. Yes, and then that's, that's where we one. get the, those people from. Um, also Esau, but we don't talk about Esau. It's true. It says that God hates the Edomites. I think we just talked about that a couple of weeks ago during the Q&A portion where it says God hates the Edomites. Yeah. Anyway. Because the question was up us about hate. So there you go. If you See, want you know. should listen to all of our podcasts. Uh, but anyway, so God chooses Abraham to be the father of the nations of Israel. Uh, and there's actually a few different promises that God makes to Abraham. Many of them. Yep. And so we're going to highlight two of probably the more famous ones. Uh, first off in Genesis 15, 13 through 21, it says this. Then the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram at this point, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be effect, afflicted for 400 years. Spoilers, wow. Egypt. Yeah. Uh, but I will bring Start judgment. I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. Well, that's nice. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Hmm. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the, to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Ken, Kenizzites, Camodonites. I should have looked up how to pronounce these beforehand. <laughs> Here's some I know. The Hittites, the Perizzites, uh, and the Reframe, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So there you go. I could have just cut out those last verses. I you guess. could have. Um, you didn't even have to say the names. But you know what? Darn you were all. committed, bro. There you go. Uh, but yeah, so this is kind of, this is why the land is referred to as the promised land. When you get to Exodus, when it says that, you know, God will give the people the land that he promised, this is what they're referring to, that God promises Abram that one day. After a period of sojourning in another land, which is obviously a reference to the slavery of the people of Israel in Egypt, they will come out and they will be given this land uh, that God has promised them. So cool stuff there. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I really love this verse um, and this passage when it talks about covenant, because uh, as you get into it, um, 
and maybe I'm wrong and I hope I'm not because I, I would disappoint my Old Testament survey teacher from Northwest. Awkward. Uh, she's no longer teaching, but this was one of the most um, compelling passages of scripture for her that even as she would teach it, she actually would, every time, I'm not kidding you, would, would be emotional. There'd be tears huh. um, because of the significance of this passage. Uh, and and what, what's significant about it is um, the simple fact that this is not a covenant Abraham responds to God with. This is a covenant that God puts on himself and and does himself. That's true. Um, when it says that he passes, uh, what is it, verse... Um, Verse 17, where it says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. In essence, it's this picture, not to get grotesque about it, but it's 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 a it's, a, it's an animal cut in two, set on angled tables where the blood, it, it, in essence, falls down into a trough. And the way that you would make this covenant is you each individual would walk through the walk walk across the the trough, if you will, through the blood. In essence, signifying this is an agreement. It's a binding agreement. This is the this the weight of a covenant uh, made between God and man. But what God knew is God knew Abraham couldn't uphold the covenant um, demands, and so he 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 passed between. He I believe he put Adam to sleep or not Adam. Wow, <laughs> Abram to sleep. And he passed through and made the covenant with himself, knowing that he would be the only one that could fulfill the demands of this covenant to do what he promised to do. This this picture of the covenant was, uh, it was solely on God's shoulders and he did it willingly, um, which alludes to, to the coming Christ and the covenant being fulfilled in, in Jesus and things like that. But this is like, this is the significance of covenant. This is the, 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 the weight and the power of understanding what covenant really means is it's not just some binding agreement or a contract between God and man, but it's, it's literally this, this beautiful expression of God's grace and mercy. Uh, and this is one of, like, like I said, this is one of my favorite passages when it comes to covenant because it evokes this humility in the sense that I can't uphold uh, yeah. apart from what God has done. So that's really cool. I didn't know that about the, uh, the verse 17 reference. When you kind of read it, you have no idea what it refers to unless it's you true. have some context of what's going mm-hmm. on. That was a cool insight. Um, I don't really have anything else to say on that one. Chapter so 17. Moving on to Genesis 17. This is the other really famous covenant with Abram. Uh, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God almighty walk before me and be blameless that I may take my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but I shall name, but your name shall be Abraham for you, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God and to, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And that, which is language that we're going to see a lot in the mm. Old Testament, the idea and, and in the New Testament, uh, I think. I always talk about like what I think the most beautiful passages of scripture are, but Revelation 21 is really high up there when yeah. at the end of uh, really at the, at the joining of heaven and earth, God declares that you will be my people and I will be your God yeah. to the remnant, which is really cool. Um, anyway, but that's kind of one of the first places where we get that. Uh, lost my place. There we go. And I will give to you in your offspring after you, uh, after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you through their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So this is the first time that we're getting, um, there's Circum- been sign- circumcision being 
right? Right. That's where you're going. Well, yeah, I was going to say. I just want to fill your sentence. <laughs> no problem. So, uh, but in the in the previous covenant with Noah, we see God um, making the sign of the covenant with the rainbow. And in the covenant before this, we see God making the sign of the covenant with uh, the the fire passing through. Mm-hmm. In this one, uh, the sign of the covenant is something that God is commanding man to do. Uh, so in this case, it would be circumcision. Uh, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is brought with money shall be uh, shall surely be circumcised. So my covenant will be in your flesh for everlasting so my covenant will be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. So there you go. Uh, and so this one, that is where uh, we get the practice of circumcision in uh, particularly in Jewish culture. Later on in the Bible, yeah. we see that, uh, you know, Gentiles aren't really obligated to do that, which I'm sure for the adults at that time was really great news. Yeah, so right. there's just like, seems like kind of a bummer to get into as an adult. So there you go. Uh, Listen, but, if I heard, if I heard how my son screamed when it happened, I can't imagine how a man would scream. Oh, hard pass. All right. <laughs> no, thanks. So, uh, but there you go. But yeah, the covenant, <laughs> the covenant is this idea of getting back to the not weird part of it, I suppose. Uh, but the covenant from God is this idea that um, really he's going to make a great nation through Abraham, that there's mm-hmm. going to be kings who come through him later on. Uh, I think it's in chapter 20 of Genesis. He talks about how th- uh, through you, there will be an offspring that all of the nations of the world will be blessed, which is obviously referring to Jesus way, way down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Jesus is a descendant from Abraham, as is um, Moses, as yep. is David. Uh, so the other covenants that we're going to talk to today. So spoilers for that. Those are the other Stay, ones that we're going to hit stays on. Stays in God's, with God's people. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, speaking of Moses, that's our next covenant that we're going to run into. It's a good segue. Boom. So yeah, uh, Abraham lives to a ripe old age and dies. So does Isaac. So does Jacob. Uh, and then eventually in the lifetime of Jacob, uh, the people of Israel, who at this time were not called the people of Israel, but... Well, I guess they kind of are. Anyway, that family moves into Egypt, and at first it starts off great, and then eventually uh, what God says does come to pass, where they really, it's a land of sojourning for 400 years, they live in slavery, they're oppressed, um, and then God raises up Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked a lot about Moses in Pre- previous podcasts. Yeah, it was a long time ago when we went through Exodus, but if you wanted to kind of get a deep dive into who Moses is and what was going on there, if you go back to the 2019 archive, it's going to be some of the first episodes where we're talking about that. Yeah. Uh, but suffice, you do it. suffice to say, Moses was uh, uniquely qualified to be able to do what God is asking him to do. He was very literate because he grew up in Pharaoh's household, all of those different things. Um, and eventually, Moses is commanded by God to go and bring the people out of Israel or out of Egypt into, into the, the promised, promised land. land. Yep. Jinx, Yomi Cook. Ooh. So Aaron, do you want to take away uh, Exodus chapter six, yeah. verses two through eight? It says this, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself, but by my name, sorry, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them and gave them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners or sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I remember, and I've remembered my covenant. So in essence, God is, is talking to Moses and saying, I remember the covenant I made with my people. Right. And he's coming back and bringing Moses into the conversation saying, it's now time, I'm gonna fulfill it and honor it. He says this, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people 
And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give you, uh, give it to you for the, your possession. I am the Lord. And so I love um, this passage just because I think it's a, it's a good reminder before we get into what the covenant of Moses is, mm-hmm. that God, again, stays faithful in his covenants. This is 400 yeah, years later, which, I mean, just to put that into context, we're in 2020, so 400 years ago is 1620. Is that what we're talking about yeah. there? So before- good It's good math. Yeah. Right before, the before the founding of the United States is what we're talking about. Um, before, I would imagine most of the people listening, if you're in America, before your families were here. So it was very early <laughs> on in that whole sort of thing. So yeah, 400 years is a long time. Yeah. I think sometimes- when we're reading through the Bible that covers thousands of years, we don't think about... Oh, yeah, it's 400 years. Yeah, exactly. It was like yesterday. We don't think about... Like, even the intertestamental period after Malachi, before the Gospels, we think, oh, it's 400 years. Like, that's, that's a long time. That's a long time. Yep. A lot can happen in 400 years. So there you go. Um, that's what's happening. Later on, after uh, Moses leads the people out of Egypt, or I guess more accurately, God through Moses leads the people out of Egypt, uh, in Exodus 19, we get this reference to a new covenant. We'll kind of talk a little bit about what that means. Um, in verses 5 through 6, it says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so here's God kind of telling Moses what uh, his covenant means. And really what we get in this, this is the first um, really in-depth set of rules for a covenant, mm-hmm. I suppose is what it would be. So God, if you're reading, if you read through the second half of Exodus, um, and then particularly in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, yeah. um, there's a ton of ways that God is commanding the people of Israel to be different from the other nations. Um, and in exchange, God basically offers them his favor, his love, his protection, um, if they will set themselves apart in these certain ways. Yeah. So, and we also see, um, we also see what's, what the response should look like. It's not, uh, even in the previous uh, covenants, we've seen kind of this, I'm just here along for the ride. I'm just kind of following God as he leads and takes uh, his his place as the initiator to covenant and the, this picture. But then we get to Moses where it's now a conversation, uh, a much more direct conversation as far as what therefore should your response be and what does it look like? And so we're going to see, and we'll see even as you read the, the story of Moses and the, and the Ten Commandments and all of these different rules, if you will, not even rules, but just these ob- obligations. And I would say even natural responses to understanding the grace and love of God, more than they are rules, they're natural responses. And you just see that that's, this is what it looks like. Right. As you want to uphold the covenant, you want to uphold your side of it, you want to respond well to me, this is what it looks like. And uh, and so that's, this is the, really the first major picture, very clear picture that we see and how do we respond in covenant? Yep. And I, I, I want to be careful how to phrase this because this covenant isn't more important than the other covenants, no, but, it's for not the, at all. but for the context of understanding the interplay between the testamental periods, yeah. I would say this is the most important one to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for that is because the nation of Israel breaks this covenant all the time. And what you'll see in, um, and in, in all the time, yeah, in the wilderness, they're like, "Oh, Moses is gone for thirty days. We better worship this golden statue of a cow." And then eventually, who they call the, the who they call God. Oh, it's so weird. And so eventually, also, I love. So they were they were in their own perspective worshiping God, right? In their own image, like it's it's just it's just crazy. There's a lot of depth there. That's kind of I, I still wrap my head, try to wrap my head around it sometimes. But my favorite part is when Moses comes down. And he's like, Aaron, what the heck is going on? He's like, I just threw the golden and the, and the out came calf. this calf. It's just, it's just there. 
Um, but you see this all throughout the history. If you go, go through, you know, a, a whole generation is not allowed to enter the promised land because they break the covenant. Yep. Um, that's why Joshua and, and Caleb uh, lead the assault into mm-hmm. the promised land. You see in the book of Judges over and over and over again, uh, the people are turning away from God. Then they're punished. Only and to then, be drawn back. Yep. And, the, the and they do it all over again. All through Kings Sounds like and my Chronicles, life. <laughs> Samuel. You see it over and over again until eventually God's like, okay, you've broken it too many you times. Idiots. You're losing your country. So, um, and that's what we will, you know, that's what we talked about mm-hmm. at the tail end actually of last year's podcast. But the people break it all the time. Yeah. It's just what happens. God continues to show grace and mercy, but be- that's kind of. Because he knows, again, it goes back to that. He made the covenant with himself right. on behalf of his people, knowing they couldn't uphold it, which is why his grace is so extravagant and so free. Um, it doesn't mean we go on sinning. I mean, Paul addresses this in Romans, but um, it just means it, it, it should change the approach and then our response on a regular basis. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So right. anyways. In the New Testament, we get referred to as the old covenant and the new covenant. This is the covenant that is being referred to yes. as the old covenant. Yes. So there you go. Uh, the final Old Testament covenant, and then we're going to talk about the new covenant uh, at the very end, is the covenant to David. So David is kind of... Uh, the main king of Israel. And when I say the main king, he's kind of like, you know, he's the most popular one. He's the the Henry V, if you will, of uh, of Israel. <laughs> you lost me. I don't know. He's got a great speech. I don't know if I... Oh, oh, that's awesome. It's a good play. I have no clue. Anyway, um, but all, all of that being You're said... You're too smart for me sometimes. All that being said, uh, David is uh, one of the great kings of Israel, probably mm. the great king of Israel, because when you read through Chronicles and Kings, yeah. and we talked about this last year in the podcast... Um, the standards of the kings are there's like evil kings. Uh, yeah. There's kings who did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And then there's kings who did what was right in the sight of the Lord as their father, David, was kind of like the main. Yeah. David was the, the David was the standard bearer. Um, and even David didn't do. Yeah. Which anyways. is interesting because, well, yeah, I mean, we can hit on that for a little bit. We're running up on time a wee bit, but I, I think. We, the, I think we talked about it in the podcast last year, though, too. Yeah. Like David was definitely not a perfect person. No. Um, but. And this is a theme that we see over and over again in the Old Testament, that um, God does not desire simply legalistic um, physical obedience, yeah. but he desires what's in, I, I, One of the Psalms says, the sacrifice that you desire is a broken and a contrite heart. I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but, um, and that's something that, that That's David, pleasing to God. That's the sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that David definitely exemplifies. But in Second yep. Samuel uh, chapter 7, verses 7 through, seven, through, through 16, sorry, it says this. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Which, you know, cedar's a great wood, more of an oak man myself. It smells really, really good. Yeah. Uh, Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant, David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of, of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be distributed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. This is referring to Solomon, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house in my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So that's obviously going reaching past Mm -hmm. Solomon there. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. 
When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with a rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So that's kind of interesting. So yeah. to kind of break into uh, what's going on there, um, I do think it's great that God promises that his love will not depart from Solomon. And Solomon Boy, does he break the, oh, and the Moses covenant almost every way possible. All the time. Just read through. Uh, Ecclesiastes. Yep. Read Heaven's through Ecclesiastes. I don't think it's a podcast unless we bring up Ecclesiastes. That's probably true. Um, it's not a real let's read the Bible podcast. But yeah, and, and the good news <laughs> is that Solomon, uh, at the end of his life, it does seem like genuinely repensive of yeah. what he was doing. But um yeah, if Solomon was anyone else, God probably would have been like, okay, getting rid of this guy. But because of the covenant that he makes with David, he allows yeah. Solomon to kind of keep his kingdom. Um, and in fact, the kingdom stays united until his son. And then Rehoboam yeah. is... Which in and of itself is pretty remarkable. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, and this is kind of Israel's golden age. But the, mm -hmm. the key to this covenant <coughs> is what's found at the end. And it says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me, your throne shall be established forever. Yeah. Obviously, this isn't referring to, and then there will be human kings in Israel forever and ever, because yeah. obviously that that ends. God specifically uh, ends the monarchy mm -hmm. of Israel. Um, it kind of comes back up in that intertestamental period, but it gets put down again. And then there hasn't been a king in Israel since, um, I don't know, one of the Maccabees, I think. Was he king? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I, have, I should have not mouthed off without that. knowing that. But anyway, uh, there hasn't been a king in Israel for a long time. What's referring to is that someone from the line of David will be on the throne that rules for mm -hmm. eternity. And wouldn't you know it? Let's get to someone who's in the line of David right now. See that segue, that spoiler? I think his name uh, starts with a J. There you go. Ends with Jesus. Or uh, if you want to go the Hebrew, it's what, Yeshua? There Yeshua. Yep, it's Yeshua. Joshua. Joshua. Our God saves. I like Jesus better. It's true. It sets it apart. Uh, okay, so we're going to read a couple... What's interesting with the uh, the new covenant is it's referred to multiple times, but there's not like one passage like we get in the yeah. Old Testament where it's like, here's the layout well, of and what this it is, is. And this whole idea of the new covenant is, is we're going to see it's actually drastically different than all of the Old Testament covenants right. that we just worked through. And even then some, the idea of covenant changes. Um, not that covenant changes, not but the fulfillment of covenant now has happened because of Jesus. And the, so the whole, like you just see this shift in and, and the idea of covenant in the New Testament. So, yep. so in Luke 22, 20, um, and in first Corinthians eleven twenty five, we get renditions of the last supper. And in mm -hmm. both of these, Jesus says, um, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you remember me. Or in Luke, it says this cup that is poured out for yeah. you is the new covenant in my blood. So kind of different translations of the same phrase there. Um, but yeah, the, the sign of the covenant really is, um, it's the blood of Christ, yeah. which is kind of an interesting idea. So luckily not circumcision. So that's, you know, kudos for that one. Um, but there's <laughs> kind of just. Um, and it comes right back. But yeah, there, there is this idea that um, when we take communion, and this is why I, I love communion. Yeah. I, don't know, I, I was about to say it's, it's my favorite. important thing. I was about to say it's my favorite sacrament, but that's such a dumb statement because all the sacraments are amazing. But uh, communion is just a really, uh, it's a really powerful moment where we can sit back and just kind of reflect on the new covenant of Christ. Like yeah, forget absolutely. everything else that's around. We can remember that. Um, and in second Corinthians three, five through six, it says this, now that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Uh, another way we translate it, we're just talking about the law or the old covenant. Mm -hmm. 
And the idea there of the Old Covenant was that God's salvation was dependent upon man's actions. The idea of the New Covenant is that God's salvation is dependent on Christ's actions. Mm -hmm. And and that's really the great hope of us as Christians. Um, And you referenced it earlier where Paul kind of debunks the idea because if you're like well if it's all dependent on what christ has done then shouldn't we just like be free to sin he says like by no means yeah. but multiple um, times he says that yeah and, and and that's the thing too where i think with a lot of times the new covenant can be misinterpreted as like oh sweet we can just take advantage of of god's god's no, love all that the we perk want of being in the family yeah which if that's i mean if that's your heart then it kind of just shows that you're not that you're not a part mm-hmm. of the covenant relationship yeah and so i think i don't know which that in and of itself is a very challenging statement yeah that even the recognition of taking advantage, if you will, or enjoying the quote unquote perk of the, of the family. Like, well, then are you really, are you really understanding covenant? Yeah. And, and I would, and I would argue in the same vein as Evan, like, no, you don't. And there's, there's a much further conversation that should be happening about salvation. And because when we recognize our brokenness, when we recognize our need for a savior, that's, it evokes a response. It evokes a humility. It evokes those things. Not that we're going to be perfect and always humble, but it's just an interesting tension that I think uh, realistically people don't like to work through. Yeah. So. The way I've heard it described is, is kind of like if, if one spouse commits adultery and goes to the other spouse um, and the, the, the spouse who has sinned against responds with love and saying, you know, I forgive, I forgive you. I'll always love you. We'll work through this. And then you take that as like, oh, sweet. I can cheat on you all I want now, since you're going to yeah. always forgive me that what that shows is that you don't love your spouse. Um, and it's the same thing with the covenant of Christ. Like if your response to being forgiven for sin and being, um, offered salvation is like, well, sweet. Now I can just live yeah. it up. It's like, well, then you're, well, I think it's even further. Like it's not, it's not even that you don't love your spouse, but you don't understand really what love loving your spouse means. True. And and I would say the same thing about covenant, uh, responding to Christ, because even like the whole covenant is, is in the blood of Christ. It's in the Old Testament sacrifices, they would pour out the blood of the sacrifice because they say the life is in the blood. And and so when Jesus poured out his, his when he gave up his life and he was, he bled and he died for you and I, like that's, that's the life, that's the resurrection, that's the power um, that exists to bring us back into continual life and covenant because covenant is meant to bring life. Covenant right. is meant to be life-giving and fulfilling and rewarding and keeping us in, in righteousness. And <clears throat> that's, that's the power of covenant. And so just remembering and recognizing the whole idea of covenant. So yeah. uh, we have to fully understand it. So hopefully that was helpful uh, for everyone out there. Just kind of an overview of some of the major covenants of the Bible and also what uh, covenant is in general. And, and particularly the the, uh, the playing out of the the old covenant of Moses with the new yeah. covenant of Christ and how... It is a very beautiful picture and right. it is a very challenging picture uh, to understand as a follower of Christ because it's an, it's, it's an old archaic word that carries some very deep and rich meaning for you and I as followers of Christ today in 2020. Right. So, so there you go. Uh, so with that being said, we're going to go ahead and jump into our Q&A session. Uh, but before we do, we just want to remind you to uh, do us a favor and leave us a review uh, if you can on whatever application that you're listening on. Um, it helps just to, honestly, it's the algorithm out there. It helps get the podcast to more and more people. Um, and we can grow the community of people who are reading the Bible together. It's fun to be able to look at the uh, the back end of the stats and see you know people from different states and even different countries who have been listening. So uh, the more reviews that you leave, um, preferably written out, because I think that actually helps it more, but that would really help us out. So thank yeah, you for thank do. you for doing that. And thanks for listening yep. so far. All right, so far. But after this, 
We'll see what happens. Uh, well, we got the Q&A. We're not done talking. That's yet. true. So Q&A, question one. A couple questions. It says, uh, hey, guys, question for the podcast. Can you explain Luke 8.21, please? I've always had a hard time understanding this verse as it feels like quite the knock on Jesus's mom and siblings. So there you go. Also, it says mom there. So that wasn't me. I was going I was going. You full, were so excited. I was reading it full accent. Verbatim. Uh, I guess not full accent, but yeah, verbatim. Uh, so to give us a reminder, and we'll just kind of talk about this for a little bit, but We'll read Luke 8, um, and we'll read 19 through 21. Yeah, so you get a little bit of the picture. Uh, But in verse 19, it says, Then his mother, referring to Jesus' mother, and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So boom, there you go. That's that's rough. I can see how that kind of does. It looks rough. It totally is rough. Like, yeah. wait a minute, your actual mom who gave birth to you is standing outside with your brothers who she gave birth to them as well. And you're not even willing to go out there and see him. Yeah. Like, and in the context, like there's, there's a miracle being happening inside of this house that Jesus and he's teaching and, and, and talking about the kingdom of God. And, and so it's, it's a, it's a picture and an interesting uh, clarification. And it's almost like Jesus takes an opportunity to almost talk about the family of God. Like it's this, um, those who hear the word of God and do it. That's my family. That right. That's who I belong with. That's who belongs with me. And and it's almost like a, not even a backhanded comment, but it's a, it's a sidestep for a moment is what it sounds like with Jesus making this mm-hmm. comment. Like that's who my mom and brothers are. Like those who do hear and do. You notice he didn't say anything about his dad though. So True. Well, I think that's a, just a, a lot of people kind of think Joseph had died at this point. So He might've. Bummer. Sad day. Well, I guess he yeah, Moment they, of silence they, they had a good 30 year marriage, hopefully before. You just ruined it. Anywho. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, yeah, I think the main theme, honestly, is just talking <clears> about how um, with Jesus in particular, and, and this is also partly due to uh, um, who he is and kind mm-hmm. of like the uniqueness of the fact that he is divine in addition to being man. Um, but, but the the real idea is that there's, there's spiritual family with Christ that, that yeah. runs even deeper than his blood related family. And, mm-hmm. and, and the good news for that is that we are, Jesus' spiritual family. What yeah. I was referring to is really the the capital C church, like uh, all believers of all time. Uh, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word and yeah. of God and do it. Well, the other so thing too, go. I'd say about the whole father comment, like he knows his father is God in heaven. Right. So whenever he refers to his father, that's who he's referring to. It's not that he's trying to alienate Joseph and kick Joseph to the curb. And whether he, Joseph had actually passed away at this point, or not, I don't know, but um, God, God knew his father was, or Jesus knew his father was God in heaven. Mm-hmm. And, and that's who he refers to. And, and even Mary, like the, the immaculate birth. Um, so from a virgin, but yeah. So there you go. Uh, question uh, two. Yeah. I don't know how well that answers the question, but I would say it, it's not as flippant as it appears. It no, really it's, it's, trying to make a, it's a recognition of God's family. Like it's, right. it's much bigger than just flesh and blood. Like the, 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 the context is God's talking about the King, Jesus talking about the kingdom mm-hmm. in this, in this house among believers. <clears throat> I don't remember. And I, I should, I can look it up, but if it, the context is he just performed a miracle, I believe if this is the, the paralytic being dropped down from, maybe it's not, um, but he's in this house. And the reason why it's so full is because Jesus is teaching. He's, he's, he's talking about God's kingdom. That's what he came to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the context that Jesus was then teaching, he was asked, he was made this statement because Mary and the brothers of Jesus wanted to see him. And, and Jesus was like, I'm still talking kingdom. So let me tell you about the kingdom for a second. Right. That's the context. So there you go. Moving on to question two. Uh, here we go. Another question for the podcast in Mark 6, 5. Why was 
could Jesus not do any miracles in his hometown? I think I, I probably should have written that out better. Uh, if the answer is simply because no one believed he could, what is the implication of this? So uh, That's a good question. Yeah. Aaron, do you want to read the passage really quick? Yeah, it says this, Mark 6, 1 through 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath day, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How much? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? I don't know if that's Joseph. It says Joseph, but uh, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to him, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could not do the mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went out among the villages teaching. One of my really underrated part of that passage is the fact that Jesus's brother, Judas, after all that goes down, is like, it's, it's Jude now. You know, he just, he's like, don't, don't oh, associate. I'm going to change my name to I, Jude. Yeah. And the other guy. Uh, no one needs to remember Judas Iscariot. There's also like the second Judas who's a disciple. And he's just like, oh, oh that's right. it's Thaddeus now. Yep. He just goes completely like, we don't need to, I don't know. It's kind of like, I don't know what the equivalent is. I don't know be. any Judases in my life. Like, yeah, literally kind of, named Judas. It's kind of like Adolf. Like the name's been ruined. So <laughs> it just doesn't get used anymore. It was a I particular evil that. that was done. Mind blown. So there you go. Um, okay. So in this passage, what's going on? So there's a few things that we have to uh, get out of the way. Number one, that uh, we believe as per, the Orthodox Christian belief is that God is all powerful. So God mm -hmm. can do um, anything logical, if that makes sense. So like God... And the only caveat I'm giving there is because people will be like, well, can God like... Yeah, okay, I see the, the parameters you're putting on it. Yeah. I was, I was like, no, God can do things that don't... Are can just God make something exist and not exist at the exact same time in the yeah. same can relationship? Can God make like, a rock that's too heavy for him to Yeah, lift? exactly. Like, like, no, like it has to be logically possible. But God is uh, omnipotent in that sense. Um, and mm. omnipotent is just a Greek word meaning all powerful. Yeah. Um, And so... We know that what's if, if we're believing that and we know that that's backed up by the rest of scripture, we're, we're saying here that, okay, what this scripture is not saying is that Jesus was completely incapable of doing this, or at least that God is completely incapable of doing this. So if that's the case, then what could this be referring to? And there's a couple different, um, there's a couple different, I'm trying to think of how to say this. There's a couple different interpretations mm -hmm. you can take of this. Number one. And this is this is pretty open-handed, by the way. So you you could kind of go either way with this. Number one, you could say that when Jesus um, is not in his glorified form, so in this thirty-three year period from his birth to um, before the resurrection, that there were limitations put on him um, that he that he agreed to that um, he could not do. So, for instance, like there's there's just because Jesus had a physical body, like we know that Jesus wasn't going around, mm -hmm. like he wasn't flying, he wasn't doing all these different things. Um, and in the same sense, there may be uh, a limitation put on Jesus that he, he basically does miracles for people who have faith. And so if you don't have faith, um, he's not going to be performing miracles. That's one way that you could interpret it. Um, the other way that you can interpret it is kind of, it's just um, not in God's character to do these things. And so what I mean by that is kind of saying, um, when you when you have the word can't there, instead of viewing it as a completely incapable, what you can view it as, like, for instance, I would say that you could say that God can't lie. Um, when you say that, you're not saying that God is completely incapable of doing it. What you're saying is that because the nature of God is truth, um, that God will, will not lie. That's kind of the idea there. So I think that you could pretty much 
um, open it up to either of those two interpretations of it. Mm-hmm. Personally, I kind of lean more towards um, it. It does seem that when Jesus is doing miracles, for the most part, there is some faith of someone involved. Um, yeah, I think faith is the activator. Yeah, so it's I'm, not. It, it's not the. It's not the ability. Um, of God to do something. I think God is like, we've already discussed God is omnipotent. He can do all, anything. Um, and within logic, within that, within, yeah, anyways, within those parameters. But what he, what he's implying here is um, he even says it in, or it says in, in verse six, like, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Right. Um, there's something about the belief of individuals that activates the, the power and the miracle. And it's not to say if you don't believe you're not going to receive it, Fully, because I know people who have believed for miracles and right. believe for healing and power, and they haven't seen it yet. Um, and so it's it's there's something about this idea of, of of faith is the activator. But I also would say, when Jesus talks about being in his hometown, it's sometimes it's hard to trust or, or believe something about someone that you've not seen ever play out in a certain way until all of a sudden. Right. And what I mean by that is, this is Jesus's hometown. This is the people, and they even say, "Is this not the carpenter?" Is this not the guy that we've seen grow up and the son of Mary? And these are his brothers. We know who he is, but this is not what we've seen him do before. And so, so there was this lack of trust and belief that Jesus actually was the Messiah. There's a lack of, uh, because of the context, because of too, becoming too familiar with him. And I think we can fall into that as well as followers of Christ, Yeah, where we become too familiar with scripture or too familiar with a context or a situation that it's like, well, this is just the way it is. And I also want to be careful too, just because I, th- I think what you hit on is really important. What we're seeing in this passage is not people who know who Jesus is, um, believe, but are struggling with doubt. What we're seeing is people who are rejecting Jesus yeah. outright. Um, and I think I, f- I forgot what story it is, but there's uh, one of the stories in the gospel says, yes, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Yeah, it's a father who wants his son to be healed. Right. And so um, I think for a lot of times there's this unhealthy idea that, you know, Christians like, well, you know, this healing would have taken place if you just had more faith, um, which I don't think is a really biblical idea because I think what happens with Jesus is he does he does miracles for people who have incredible faith. Like you mm-hmm. have the centurion who's like, you don't even need to come to my house. I know that you can just speak it and he'll be healed, which is incredible faith. And he yeah. does faith for people who are really struggling and having doubts. Um, but they, but they believe in the, and they're asking him yeah. for a miracle. Which is why Jesus says you have the faith of a mustard seed. Right. The side, not that it's like, Oh, if I can put the faith into this tiny little mustard. No, it's, it's just, the, it's a quality of, of your faith, not the quantity of your faith. That's what Jesus is getting out there. Right. too. And so I, yeah, I just want to be careful because I think, um, Particularly, like you know, we're, we're in, in our circle. We can do this a lot too, where we can kind of just put a lot of the onus of a miracle um, on ourselves, and mm-hmm. we can say like, "Well, if God doesn't act here, it's because of I did this, this, and this." Yeah, it's because of me, or it's because people were praying didn't have the faith. I, I don't think that's really a biblical idea no, as much not. as it is it, that God does miracles for people who who trust in Him. Um, but it's not like this just complete. I'm trying to think of how that phrase, but you know what I'm saying. It's there's, not a free pass. Yeah, miracle there's you layers want. of faith, and yeah, well, there's, there's and yeah, and so there's layers of the faith, but there's also. God in his, in his omniscience, which is another word, like he's all knowing, right? He sees the end from the beginning. He sees what's needed. He sees what's like his ultimate goal is to glorify himself among humanity so they can all know the love of a father. Like they're all that in a nutshell. There's a lot more to that, but, um, it, it, he, he determines what's the right course of action. He knows, and we will never comprehend it. And yeah, even though it's hard to see sometimes the most loving thing God can do is say no to some of our yeah. prayers. So I mean, as a, as a dad, I'm, I understand that to a degree. My son wants to play Super Mario all the time. And I tell him no, because I know too much screen time ru- will ruin his brain. But so, I even so think it creates, you. well, it's true. Um, 
even though I really want to play with them. So I just think that the, as a, you have to, there's, there's limits that you understand that your kids don't understand if you're a parent that you, you can get a glimpse into this, but at the end of the day, God knows and God, right. God does what, what is best to glorify his name so that all can know the, the love of a father um, and be drawn to him. So There you go. Well, on that note, I think that's a great place to wrap it up for this week. Uh, just a quick reminder that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources and podcasts on our website at grove.church. 